4 o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. What's the football frenzy headlines and combos coming up? Caleb Herring's going to join us. UNLV football broadcaster, former Rebel quarterback. That'll be in about 18 minutes. Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield, Batterborn Broadcast Center on a Wednesday. Just want to make sure I didn't confuse people on what we're doing this year with Crazy Horse 3. So first home game for the Raiders is a Monday. So Gooch will be out there on our behalf. And then Cofield and company will host the rest of the Raiders home game parties. Those are on Sundays from 11A to 3P. Ari will be leading the way on that one. So uh, mark it down. Good place to hang out before, during, and after the game. Crazy Horse 3. It's right there across from the stadium on Russell. So we'll pull back the curtain on the show. Uh, Sometimes people don't like to answer emails or respond quickly. So when we did our voting on our 32 to number one Cofield and Company rankings in the NFL, not everyone voted. I think if Adam Hill and at the time John Von Tobel had voted, the Bucks wouldn't have been our number one team. I think you guys would have had them probably more down in the what, like five, six, seven range? Nine, three, four. So the Chiefs probably would have been the number one team. We talked Chiefs yesterday as a number two team. Or Browns. Uh, we had the Browns at six. So you may have had the Browns a little higher too. Sure. But uh, you don't believe the Bucks are the number one team in the NFL? I think they're in the conversation for sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that, you know, they, there's a possibility. Listen, they're the defending champs that have everybody back. No, I think that there's things like aging in, in certain players, especially the quarterback and uh, other things that could happen. And we have to remember that this didn't all come together very quickly last year. It took a while for them to get to that level. And there was a couple of breaks that they got in the playoffs or else we wouldn't be talking about them as defending champions. Now, we were hammering the Cowboys a little bit based on what we've seen on hard knocks. And as you pointed out, they are loaded with talent on offense. They've got talent on each level of the defense. I don't think the Cowboys are going to have a great season. I don't think they're going to win the division. Because of McCarthy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, I mean, I didn't need to see Hard Knocks to think that he is not a great coach. I didn't like the hire last year. I, I remember arguing with people. And listen, in the end, the Jets wound up getting Adam Gase, and that was a freaking disaster. But McCarthy was up for the job before or with Gase. And I remember arguing with Daniel McCartan, our, our friend who works for, you know, at WFN in New York. And I'm like, I, McCarthy's, you don't want him, okay? No, the Jets thing was a disaster. McCarthy would have been a disaster, too. And he's going to turn out to be about a 500 coach, if that, with all that talent. And he'll be gone probably after they'll go through this for another year. You know, the interesting thing when we're talking about uh, the NFC East with uh, Blessing, there was a number that came out on his show, and I I didn't realize this. Do you realize there hasn't been a repeat champion in the NFC East for 16 years? Wow. So that would wipe out the football team. But I'm not – I know – I listen, trends, numbers, they're important, but I'm – I'm not buying that the football team ain't winning that division and the Cowboys are the winners. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, to me, I, I think I said before, but it, it comes down to the health of Dak to me. I think if Dak's healthy all year, that that team probably wins the offense. If, if you, but, but you think back to how before good, you get to anything else for you, that's a big if, of course it's a huge if, right. You were, you're pointing out on hard knocks. It looks like he's walking with a freaking last night. Yeah. If limp. you, if you want, they did like a big, you know, you know, slow scene with Dak walking off the field. His gate. That's that what word. I was going to say. The gate. His gate looked terrible. The other thing is, he's throwing a mini football to Aiden Diggs, <laughs> right. to Ron Diggs' kid. I mean, it, it, it's not a catchable ball. The kid didn't catch one of them. He ran. That's bad, on Dak. He ran bad routes too. 
Like he was his, fading his, away at the you know point what? of ca- the catch point. It was uh-huh. terrible. Apple doesn't fall far from that the tree. That sucks. He, he's probably going to be a defensive back. He just doesn't have the hands to be a, a wide receiver. Well, he avoids we get the on ball. The kid, we, get a, we get on the kid at four. That kid is funny because for some reason. Uh, he speaks like an adult. Well, he, but he also, anytime he was talking to Dak Prescott, he said his entire name before he addressed him. Yeah. He's like, Dak Prescott, well, blah, 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 blah. Dak Prescott. called him Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I think he kind of felt bad that he misID'd him as Patrick Mahomes when he walked in the room. Yeah, I think so. Too. And he did it last week on the show. And then he did it again to, in person. It was brutal. Poor is, it, kid. is it bad that I came away from the show thinking that Aiden Diggs is more mature than Micah Parsons? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> he, what was he doing? He was, he's like, who farted? McCarthy or or uh, Micah Parsons? I don't even know. I think someone farted on the show. And he's got like a whoopee. <laughs> he doesn't have a blanket. He's got a blankie going yeah. back to Penn State. I, I, I'm a, a Micah Parsons fan. I, I, was, I came out of the show much more. I mean, I, I thought going into the draft, I thought he was – He's a guy that if he didn't have, and this goes back to your point, if he didn't have maturity issues off the field, mm-hmm. he probably would have been a top three or four pick. And he fell to the Cowboys because of those maturity issues, or at least the perceived maturity issues. Um, and I don't think the blanket helps, but I, I don't think. That wasn't my biggest issue. That wasn't my biggest issue. But I, I mean, the guy, I will say this, on ignoring what happened on Hard Knocks, because I think we can buy into Hard Knocks, like we can get, caught into hard knocks traps it happens every year in fantasy football the team that's on hard knocks all the guys get drafted way too early because you see them on hard knocks you think they're gonna be great um it's not because of hard knocks watch the film of Micah Parsons in preseason the dude was dominating the field listen the roster is mostly set now I mean most of the work is done but it's the guys who put together the roster the other thing from hard knocks I, I can't believe these these two guys sit in these meetings and they listen to them uh Listen, I'm not an ageist, you know. My parents are, you know, my parents are losing it a little bit too. My dad can't hear for anything. But when you're putting subtitles on Jerry Jones on a TV show, and then I swear to God, when I when I heard Stephen Jones like talking personnel, I'm like, what is he doing in there? Was either this one is still them. going on. Get out of the room. Remember the remember the Jim Harbaugh incident with uh, Jed York, where he like yeah. he, with the Niners, he told he's like, get out. Football people are here. Yeah. Okay, leave. It's one of the reasons Harbaugh left. But listen, it, I, I I admire the 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 wealth that Jerry Jones has amassed. Sure. I admire the fact that he seemed to be very gung ho on the Raiders coming to Vegas. He doesn't seem to be gung ho on the Bills going to Austin or San Antonio. There's sure, a whole story why. there. I wonder why. But the fact that they still have to listen to him talk football, and then Steve Jones is in there, like guys, and it all goes back to the beginning of this whole regime again. There, there have been a couple of guys who would, you know, who are real top-notch coaches who would push back on Jerry Jones and the kids, and they didn't last very long. And then, it, you know, the rest of the time, it's littered with guys like, I think Jason Garrett's a decent NFL coach. So It's littered with guys like Mike McCarthy and, and some of the other guys have had there who, who are like, hey, you know what, I want a job so badly, I'll deal with this buffoonery. I, I keep bringing up something that, that you didn't see, so I apologize, but the, the Aaron Rodgers thing yesterday, God, man, his interviews on that show are amazing. But he... One of the things he was, said is AJ Hawk on with him. Uh, he, he had Wi-Fi issues, so he oh, joined okay. with like the last five minutes of the of the interview. So generally, AJ Hawk, you know the fact that and, and McAfee is respected by a lot yeah, of yeah. current NFL players. So what 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 made the big and Rogers clearly him? watches the show by the way because he takes shots at all the producers like during the, like he he knows the show, so he's very comfortable there. So that's, that's what happened. But he was doing the show yesterday, and one of the things he said he did a really long thing about the situation in Green Bay. And part of the problem in his mind, and I, you know, I, I take his word for this because a lot of stuff he said seemed accurate. 
in his mind, he said the Packers have been successful for so long that a lot of that, when you ask a question, why do we do this? The answer often is, so we've always done it. And he's like, well, this, this doesn't work anymore. Like, why, why is it still, why is the power structure still this way? Why, you know, part of it was, hey, why do I not have any say whatsoever in personnel? And they said, well, the general manager has always done that. The coach has always coached the players and never had say in personnel. And the players have never had say in coaching or personnel. Like, that's how it's done. And Aaron Rodgers said, well, sometimes things change. And I think you can apply that to Dallas and say, Jerry Jones took over. They caught lightning in a bottle and had success because he was working with Jerry, with uh, Jimmy Johnson, his friend. But he, Jimmy Johnson did all this work, got to the Super Bowl titles, and Jerry Jones was like, well, yeah, I was a part of that. I was in the room. You just happened to be in the room. <laughs> you didn't win because you were in the room. And Jerry Jones is like, well, I'm going to do it this way because, well, first of all, I have an ego. And second of all, because that's how it's always been done here. That's the way we do things around here. Well, sometimes that doesn't work. And on a side note, he also pointed out uh, – one issue with McCarthy, which he gave McCarthy credit for, but to tie it in further with Dallas, one of the things is Aaron Rodgers said his first couple of years, he would ask McCarthy, why in why in this route tree, why on this play does the receiver do this? And he goes, well, that's how Bill Walsh designed it. That's how, that's how we do it. And Rodgers like, well, no, like it doesn't work. Like because the game's changed, like it doesn't work anymore. What if we do this? And he said, McCarthy was like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Good. And That's he, good he would hear. go with it. So so he did say that there was some adaptability, but he said there's so many people in football that are just locked into, hey, if this is how it's done, that's how it's going to be done. And the people that are having success now, I believe, are the people that are like, no, let's do it this way. Let's do a giveaway right now. Caller 11, 364-1100, Next home game for the Rebels at the Al. Iowa State's in town, and they are bringing a ton of clones. As I forget who called them clones the other day. Cyclone fans are coming in in mass. Uh, you can get a four-pack right now. Call our 11, 364-1100, It's September 18th. You can get your own tickets at unlvtickets.com. But call our 11, talk to Ari. You'll get a four-pack for Iowa State and UNLV football, 364-1100. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Yes, you have finally made it after all these years of hard work in putting in uh, hours to get to Keyshawn and Jay. We finally have arrived to this, but Congratulations, you will now be with us for the next four hours. Let's see how it goes. But now back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Poor Keyshawn, poor Max Kellerman. They're opening up their uh, brand new morning show with Jay Williams and uh, the mic in the studio that Jay Williams ran were the mics. Jay Williams and Max were in, were not up. So all of a sudden, Keyshawn has to go into lead mode and was just blathering nonsense. <laughs> he what? sometimes you know, does when he's actually talking to. The, the reaction from a lot of people out there, why did, why did people dislike Max so much? I don't know. I don't get it. Like, I think he's more than solid. And we're going to, you know, we're going to show you later. And uh, this is going to be something we're probably going to have to play a lot. The idea of not having any sort of foil at all for Stephen A 
may not make for a great show. Because if he's just going to stand up there every day and steamroll former athletes, how entertaining is that? I would agree. It's going to be a weird deal. Uh, Caleb Herring covers UNLV football on the broadcast. He played for the Rebels. And we, we got a lot to break down from the Rebels game against Eastern Washington and the look ahead against Arizona State. But right out of the gates, talk about a hot take, Caleb. Dan Orlovsky says the Buccaneers are going to go 17-0 or have a very good chance to go 17-0. Seriously? Uh, it, man, it's the hype train, man, right? I mean, I I think I, I, it's, it's ironic because I, I want to say I believe there's a Dan Orlovsky take that was kind of kind of throwing some shade at the Bucks in a way because their playoff run wasn't like a perfect, you know, this, you know, immaculate run where they were just blasting people out of the waters in the playoffs. I think he said that earlier this offseason. But then kind of now to go out on a limb and say, for anybody going 17-0, and 0, first of all, 17 games has never even been played in an NFL season before, in the regular season. And it was very hard to just to get to 16. And it, with, with a 44-year-old quarterback and other aging stars around him, who knows if the roster is going to be the same at the end of the season, if everybody's going to make it to the end, with how random you know football is week to week. And that's the beauty of the sport, by the way, with how random things are. It, 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 to make a, a proclamation like that, that it's, likely that they're going to go 17-0. That's bold. I mean, hey, stand by it. Let, let's see you put some money down at the books, I guess. But, hey, that's, that's what we do these days. We make bold proclamations, and, and we hope they come through. That's the that's the crazy part. I don't even think anybody has that prop posted. It's that's, not even, that's how what's, ridiculous what's it talking is. About? Nobody's taking that. Nobody's taking that. Nobody, the books know that. Nobody, nobody's taking that. It's ridiculous. We got the Marcus Royal Radio Show coming up here. Uh, week number two every week is going to be on Wednesdays, uh, six thirty start. It's at the Parkway Tavern at Flamingo and two fifteen. So stop on by, ask a question, uh, grab a drink, a little bit of food, hang out with us. Again, that's at six thirty. Uh, some of the stuff we'll discuss with Marcus Royal was the obvious stuff, and I'll ask you as a former quarterback. Uh, you know, you called the game, you watched the entire game. Uh, what did you see going from Justin Rogers to Doug Brumfield? Well, yeah, I saw energy injected when, when Doug came into the game, obviously, at, at the second half, the comeback that, that he, you know, kind of spearheaded with the just the energy that he brought and the, the willingness to, to, to push the ball down the field and, and connect in some pretty big ways. I think the loudest the crowd got was on that deep connection to Kyle Williams uh, late there in the third quarter. But, um, yeah, he injected life. And I think uh, um, where, where the offense lacks chemistry out of the gate, and this is not – completely on Justin Rogers and it, it's hard to not frame it that way obviously when the quarterback change happened things changed right um, but the chemistry on offense just wasn't there um, and there was just you know and it was from the receivers not being able to find openings the, the line having miscommunications uh, and protection all in the first half some early kinks that I think needed to get worked out offensively um, I think even once those things did uh, get worked out I think uh, for Rogers the confidence had pretty much left him and it's to start that third quarter and then you start off the way they did in the third with, with a couple of penalties like that on that opening drive. Um, just really kind of derailed things for him, I think, for the game. Uh, but, yeah, Doug came in and did what he was supposed to do. He came in off the bench and, and, and injected life into the offense and um, did enough to, to earn the starting nod for this week, which is, you know, uh, something that I, I think he could have had coming into the season. And I, I had personally said that I, from what I'd seen from Doug, he pretty much displayed in-game what I, I thought he would display based on the times that I've seen him in practice. But, um, yeah, it, it looks like he's done enough to get the nod for now, and it'll be his job to lose uh, for the foreseeable future. So can you can you just kind of – and maybe I'm wrong, and I'm just going to try to make a point and see if you agree with it, I guess. Uh, but I, I saw so many people that were like, 
you know, obviously he was so much better. He played so much better, and he did. He played better in the game, no question about it. But there's also factors that come into play. Like, for one, uh, Justin Rogers, as talented as I think that he is, was really hesitant to pull the trigger, and everything was underneath. Everything was underneath the entire game. So, you know, Brumfield comes in, and they try a deep ball, and I think the defense is all up toward the line of scrimmage because everything's been underneath. And so it helped complete that deep ball that the defense had seen nothing but underneath balls all game, right? Like, it's, it's not like you just come into the game and throw that deep ball right away. There's things that happened to led, that led to that. So I don't think it's easy. It's as easy as just saying, well, he was just better in the game. Yeah, I, and I think you, it's important to realize that at that point in the game, at, at halftime, Charles Williams had over 100 yards rushing. So yeah. I, I, it, in the second half, it was pretty much – uh, Eastern Washington selling out to stop the run, and they had you know there was man coverage on the edges, a little bit more of a clear picture as far as the coverages go, and things of that nature. So the balance offensively was completely one sided. So it's a lot easier for a defense to kind of get a beat on that game plan when when all the offense is doing was running the ball. I mean Charles ended up finishing with 172 or 77, I believe, um, on the ground. So that that helped. But like you said, the game plan for Eastern Washington pretty much changed in the first half. Like they all they have. To, to beat us with is the run game. And it showed in the way that they were scheming up their defensive calls in the second half. And like you said, one-on-one coverage is a lot more. Uh, very clear pictures. Even if it wasn't man-to-man coverage, the coverages were very clear um, at the snap. And there's so there's a difference. There's a, there's a definite difference, even in the fact that Doug got to sit on the sideline and watch the coverages unfold from the sideline. That's a different vantage point than being on the field under pressure trying to figure out what that last coverage was when you're Justin Rogers. So there's there's benefits to how Doug came into the field. And then there's also that that kind of thinking may have played uh, into the fact that of, of why Justin Rogers got the start. Because in practice, what taking the underneath route translates to is uh, you grade out better. And this is something that any quarterback will tell you that it's safer to take those underneath routes. It's safer to take the checkdowns. You get a higher completion percentage. You, you protect the ball. You throw less interceptions, things of that nature. And that Again, bore out in the game. You know, Rodgers didn't take chances down the field necessarily, and he didn't throw an interception while on the other side, Brumfield did, whether it was a drop or not. But in fall camp and in competition, it makes sense that he may have, in theory, graded out better from practice to practice during fall camp, and that's why he earned the first snaps of the first game. Uh, while Brumfield probably, with his nature and, and with the way that he attacked and, and, and his, it trusts his arm, he probably took a lot more chances downfield during practice. And, in, and as a result, threw more interceptions and put the ball in jeopardy a little bit more. Um, and maybe that doesn't translate to starting if you, in your evaluation process. But, you know, it, it pans out to electrifying offensive plays. It pans out to, to moving the ball down the field when it comes game time. So it's interesting how things work out. It's not one or the other when it comes to picking a starting quarterback. The situation is very, and, and things were definitely different in the first and second half of that ball game. For a guy like Rodgers, I, I mean, you said it's happened in practice. I haven't been to practice, so I, I haven't seen what's going on there. But I, I have seen him play in the past. You know, high school, you see his tape and see how talented he is and how good he is and everything else. Uh, and that's why he was such a highly ranked recruit. But is there is there something to, I guess, for lack of a better word, like not being able to pull the trigger and just saying, like, you know, this is my nature and this is what I'm going to do. And is that learned? Like, that you, you say, all right, now I'm going to be aggressive and I'm going to, be a different kind of player is that is that coached how do you how do you make that adjustment i think it's personality i think literally you can see different personalities translate to the football field um where you know you keep your composure and you say i'll get it next time risk management i guess is what you would say it's, just, it's the same kind of thing where you know you got guys that play poker or whatever and they're willing to go all in 
on, you know, a crap hand and, and more guys are willing to do that. They take bigger risks, they get bigger rewards, but sometimes they, they bust and it, it's bad. And it's the same thing with quarterbacks. There's a lot of personality that goes into this decision. Again, some of it can be learned from past experiences, whether it's, you know, I threw an interception, I threw a couple picks in the game and I got benched and I never want to let that happen again. So I'm going to protect the ball. I'm going to value the football. And of course, coaching goes into that. If you're in the film room and, uh, week to week, your heart been protect the football and don't throw interceptions, and that'll that, that's your. I've heard coaches say this: that's your easiest ticket to the bench is throwing interceptions, which is kind of true. But your easiest ticket to the bench. And so now you want to be absolutely safe, and you know there's guys that take that to heart, and then there's other guys who say, you know what, I'm going to throw some picks, but I'm also going to make you some big plays. Guys like Brett Favre, who are in the Hall of Fame, kind of had that type of gunslinger mentality where they're going to let it rip and they're going to trust the receiver to come down with it more often than not. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing, and it works in certain systems. I think Patrick Mahomes has a little bit of that streak in him. He has the talent around him to just let it rip, and he does. And you look at other quarterbacks, maybe it's more about management. You look look at guys like Baker Mayfield. It's more about managing turnovers and, and protecting the ball and making the underneath throws when it's necessary. So it just depends on, I think, personality, situation, and things like that that mold a player into who they are. And I think Justin Rogers maybe takes the safer route, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it can oftentimes look like a stagnant offense, um, especially when you're playing against a team that maybe you should be progressing and, and taking shots down the field a little bit more. It's Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback. You can hear him on the game broadcast and also on the coaches' show tonight uh, over Parkway Tavern. It's Flamingo tonight, right? Correct. Yeah, there you go. 6.30. Flamingo 215, 6.30 uh, tonight. Um, I I don't want to find – I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat what happened. I mean, they lost to – you know, a an, uh, an FCS team, or excuse me, an F, uh, yeah, an FCS team yeah. the other day, um, and you know everybody understands that that's not how you want to start a season. I will say, I thought the defensive line was absolutely awesome. Yeah, I think there was there was plenty of of aspects of the game that you could say were awesome, like that in 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 spots where it was like there was a time there were times in the game where I'm looking like the tackling out there is just light years better than it, I've seen it in UNLV as far as the fundamentals breaking down, bringing your feet. Um, you know, the, the energy that the starting group that Jacoby women for Christ's sake was bringing on defense. And he was like all over the place, um, creating pressure on a quarterback, um, sacking and containing a quarterback. That's probably one of the better scramblers in any division of football. Um, just uh, how elusive and, and fast he is and containing him for a half football to pretty much nothing as far as scramble, scramble plays that, that mattered in that first half. So there's a lot that you look at and say, like, wow, that that's some progress. Those are things that were question marks, and we got, you know, we got answers, and, and there were good answers for the most part. They just didn't happen over 60 minutes. Um, and like you said, it, it ended with a, de- uh, a defeat, which, you know, it, it's a completely different tone, I think. if Even if you play bad and you, you, you lose that, you, you know, you, you go to double overtime, but you come out on top. I think the lessons learned in that are just and it. You're literally a couple inches away from that being the case, right? And so I think while, yeah, you don't want to ever say, you know, there's a moral victory, lose the FCS team. If you're being uh, object, uh, objective here, you can say and you can look at it. Even though you, you don't like the, the, the taste of losing to an FCS opponent, you can say this isn't the same UNLV team in a lot of ways that we've seen in the past. You know, like it's not the same defense. The defense looks like a good defense in the making to some degree, right? And so I think there's definitely some things to hang your hat on, defensive line being one of them, um, and Jacoby women being another big one. And I think the level of physicality as a team, I think when you rush for nearly 200 yards, basically 200 yards on the ground, 
um, I think you can hang your hat on that anywhere against any opponent. So um, I, I think, you know, hats off to the improvements made, but still a lot to get done to get a win in the, in the win column. Eastern Washington, FCS has success. How about your guy, Bobby Houck, Montana? Yeah, that was huge. I mean, it was one of those things, you know, it's, it's cool to, to know people that are involved in one of those things, right? Like, I've never, I've never uh, personally known the people involved in a major college football upset, and, I, and like, it, it's pretty cool to actually have a personal relationship with uh, the coaching staff, Coach Rosie, Coach Rosenbaum, my offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. He's still uh, with Bobby up there in Montana, and, and you know, I texted them right after the game, and we, they called me right up, and, and, you know, we were talking, reminiscing on some the old times back in 2013 where – where we put some things together and shocked a lot of people, and and they were able to put a win together—an ugly win, a scrappy win against you know a, a, a power five opponent was was huge, and they were they were fired up about it. And I think a tweet went viral over there with Bobby showing his up still, that, that, yeah. getting up in the age, but he can still jump a little bit. I, I remember him working out all the time, so busting his chops about that a little bit, and just you know enjoying that win with them and, and congratulating them on, on a a major moment for for their program, um, and and you know hopefully some future moments like that that they can share with the Rebels when they can call me and say, hey, how about those Rebels, huh? One of the storylines to follow around college football, and I, I warned everyone, it doesn't mean I'm right on this, but I warned everyone, don't assume that all the superpowers have their new quarterbacks go in and, like, they're going to be flawless. And, well, we saw DJ Oyelongalele let down by his offensive line. He really struggled in the game against Georgia. Uh other guy I warned people about is at Ohio State. Like, let's see what happens long-term with Stroud. You know, he had some good catch-and-run situations. Uh, I also said pump the brakes on Bryce Young. Yikes. He looked pretty good <laughs> against Miami. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted out, to, I mean, this was in the first half of that game. I said, man, look out for the Heisman for this kid. I mean, and it, it just what I was watching. He hadn't put up the numbers yet. He didn't throw a touchdown pass yet at the point where I was thinking this, but just the way he was carrying himself, his demeanor, his progression, his patience against a number 14 team in his first start, I think was like very telling of, of the confidence he has in himself. And you don't get that confident without being good, especially when you're playing for Nick Saban. Um, and if Nick Saban has the confidence in you um, the way that he does, and uh, you know, there was rumors last year that if he had a full off season and a fall camp to compete, that he would have started over Mac Jones. And I, I guess not that far fetched. Now that I've seen him in game live action, it's not that far-fetched to have made such a statement, right? And, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves talking about NFL prospect, and that's, you know, of course, where the conversation goes. But from what I saw in week one against the top 20 opponent, number 14, let's not forget they were number 14 preseason Miami. It's not like they're playing uh, who the opponent is for Alabama this week. I, I, I know it's not of the quality of the top 25. But playing against the number 14 team in the nation and to perform the way he did, throwing four touchdowns, no interceptions, the first – I believe the first quarterback to do that for Alabama in their first start. Um, I, I mean, that's that's big. That's big. And I, I think he might be the best of, you know, the quarterbacks that are now starting in the NFL. You go back to uh, even to uh, uh, Tua and, and Mac Jones and uh, those guys. I think he's the best to come out so far um, of, from Alabama. And that's after one game. And it's, I, it's way putting the cart before the horse. But I think Bryce Young for Heisman, he, he'd have my vote if I had one after week one. Of course, Bryce Young from California, where they make the best quarterbacks, right? That has nothing to do with why I said that. That's no, no, actually, I, I actually agree. <laughs> I'm, I believe that that California by far is the quarterbacking quarterback uh, making is. factory in the I, United I, States. I'm just glad I didn't have to be the one to say it, Steve. I, I'm glad you re real recognize real, and you just recognize 
that California is the quarterback state for sure. There you go. All right, Caleb, we'll see you over the coaches show. All right, guys, have a good one. You going to argue with that? Want to throw Texas in? No, California. It's ridiculous because they're all over the Mountain West Conference. They're now all over the country because people are smart enough on the East Coast to be like, "Eh, you know, might want to get a coach on the staff who's watching California. Maybe, and especially, I mean, you can do it in Texas and, and Florida too, but California's out there just throwing the ball around all year. Yep, they prep them. I mean, yeah. it's, they, they, from a young age, they're they're running uh, passing offenses. Uh, Coach's show tonight, Marcus Aurora radio show. It's every Wednesday night, Parkway Tavern this week, Flamingo in two fifteen location. It'll be myself and Caleb Herring and the coach. So stop on by. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. So these next couple of days, Adam, we're really going to start diving into uh, putting out some plays, some leans, some likes, NFL and college football one update from college football you know i was mentioning last night we're doing our podcast now uh, nine o'clock tuesday wednesday thursday because uh, we're doing some more traveling on fridays and and mondays are tough because we've got our monday night football party every week at twin peaks and uh, petro was on out of kansas city so we're looking at some early leans and likes in college football and i threw out uab against georgia and i think last night the number was 26 and a half well now jt daniels is questionable and the way i looked at it you know georgia's coming off this massive potential elimination game. It really wasn't, but massive game against Clemson. Hey, you got a letdown spot going against UAB and UAB is a good football program. Yeah, not bad at all. So, but now the numbers dip down to 24. So we'll, we'll wait on this one and see what's going on with JT Daniels. And we should mention beginning of the week, uh, even though Georgia's at 90 plus percent vaccination rate that uh, Kirby smart was saying, he's got three or four guys affected right now by either COVID or tracing. So they might have a little situation, you know, dealing with that. So against UAB, and by the way, there it's this, I was hoping, oh, maybe it's a look ahead spot. It's South Carolina on the way, which is a rivalry game, but South Carolina is in such a weird position right now. You know, South Carolina's quarterback was actually going to be a coach this year. And they were like, we need you to play quarterback. He was going to be a grad assistant coach, but he still had eligibility as a super senior. I'm trying to think of the, the other schools he was at. I know he was at, he was at an FBS and he was at North Dakota State and then he, he landed at uh, South Carolina and they're like, okay, you're a grad assistant. And all of a sudden they're like, eh, we need a quarterback. That's that's a weird spot to be in for sure. I, I was just going to I was gonna point out about the, the UAB spot. Like all of a sudden, if Daniels can't go, that becomes a huge game for Georgia of like, hey, get, let's get these other guys in here and get them some experience. So that, the letdown spot might not be in effect in that case. Okay. It's not Rally just the, around the backup. Yeah, it's not just the case of the line uh, moving and, and being a little bit different. You know, in the NFL, we're going to talk a lot more about the odds coming up here in uh, less than about seven minutes. Don't hold me to it. With uh, John Murray from Westgate, right? Last details on the Super Contest as the uh, deadline's coming up. I, we've been talking about this game for months. I really want to bet the Texans against the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. And while I like Lawrence, I mean, it's freaking rookie coach, rookie quarterback. But the Texans keep trading away their players. This was the plan. I know. But that's what worries me. It's like you almost wonder, is Cully there to freaking lose? Like, they're not going to say it. And is Nick Casario, the new GM, like, eh. like I'm going to do everything I can to take 
kind of like the Jets did to Gase before he effed it up last year. Like, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that you produce what we want, which is almost no wins. Yeah, and I, I think they're going to try to make sure whatever they can do. Uh, that's why I'm I'm sure at some point, you know, two or three games in, you're going to see Davis Mills out there because he was oh, an abject disaster in the preseason. Um, Poor Ty God. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a mess. It's, it's one thing to be the Steve DeBerg-like, you know, uh, bridge guy to the young quarterback. But it's next level when now that we have tanking, it's like, hey, you know, you can play. We know you're decent. We'll give you three or four games, but you're just going to screw it up for us. Yeah, you're yeah. going to do you're going to pull a Joe Flacco for the Jets. Like, we don't need that. Yeah, you're going to accidentally win a few games and th- we can't have that. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a weird situation, too, because, you know, maybe I, I have no idea what their overall plan is. Like they signed more free agents this offseason than almost any other team has. So a lot of people are like, oh, they're trying. But look what they did. They signed all these guys that were valuable to other teams, but not valuable as star players or starters. All these like second tier guys, a bunch of second stringers that are more than good enough to be on any NFL roster, but not really good enough to start. You're like, why do you have all these guys? Well, now we know why. Because they could get like fifth and sixth round picks for all of them. And there's like, all right, here you take him for fifth, take him for a sixth. Bradley Roby's gonna Bradley Roby's gonna help the Saints. He's gonna start. He's gonna start for a Super Bowl contender. They get a last minute. Right, easy on the Super Bowl contender with Jameis in there. They are absolutely a Super Bowl contender. I'm not so sure. We'll have our predictions tomorrow. They're, I mean, what is I love Jameis mean? too. We'll get into the debate of what elite means. What does contender mean? If you're a top ten team, you're a Super Bowl contender probably. Um, so I, I would say, I don't know what the plan. Again, I, I think the plan is to turn all these guys into fifth and sixth round picks around the league. But I mean, you're taking, as you said, you're, you're like, oh, here's a good guy. This is a good piece. Oh, that team who's a who's a division contender? I, I don't know how we're phrasing it. Uh, he's going to start for them. All right, well, we'll take a pick for him. Take a pick for him. Anybody that's playing well, we'll take a pick for them. And they're going to have they're going to have like fifty draft picks next year, and still no idea what to do with Deshaun. Here's the other problem with the Texans: or people that might not be paying that close of attention to them, they've wasted a ton of roster spots. Deshaun Watson's on the active roster; mm-hmm. can't play. I think. Last check, I don't know, they had 11 running backs on the roster. Like, what are you doing? Running back's the least valuable position on the field. You've got a ton of them. Why? You're just wasting roster spots now because they're guys that potentially you could get draft picks for. I don't know what changed with you and the Saints, but uh, Cofield and Company preseason NFL rankings. Saints are number 18 in the league, my friend. What? Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betty with John Murray. Let's get out to the Westgate, get a look at some of the NFL numbers, also get the final details on the Super Contest as the deadline to get in is coming up. It's Cofield, it's Adam Hill. John Murray's with us. John, how you doing? Good. What's going on, guys? A lot. A lot is going on. Adam and I were just yelling at each other about the Saints. Uh, Adam considers the Saints what? a top 10 team in the NFL, our ranking system on Cofield and company said they're number 18. Where are you? Well, I, I would have told you that Adam is a big saints fan because they finally switched to the appropriate quarterback, Jameis Winston. Yes. You know, I think the saints would have been a lot better last season. Had they played Winston instead of drew Brees? and Adam is just shameless in his support of Jameis Winston. So I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't say top five, to be honest. I also, I also buy into the conspiracy theory from last year. What was, uh, you have to be a little bit more specific. 
well, that the the Saints didn't play Jameis because they didn't want him to hit the market and get a big okay. contract. Okay, or maybe they did play Drew Brees to shame him into retirement. That could also be a, <laughs> both of those things could apply. Very possible. I think that's true. Uh, hopefully, I mean, listen, it's it's a big week. We're all excited. Uh, we're going to get into what's going on down at the Westgate this week. Uh, I just hope that you are recharged. I saw you had quite an experience at the uh, the racetrack this week. Looked looked exciting. Did very well Sunday. Uh, Monday not as not as good. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's almost like if you win at, at Del Mar or any racetrack, you should probably leave right away. <laughs> but it's just so wonderful there. I just you know what? I'll just stay here and try to give some of this money right back to them. There's no such thing as a losing day at Del Mar. Uh, I've had almost exclusively losing days at Del Mar. If we're talking about dollars and cents, yeah, the experience is great. But uh, yeah, to actually like Sunday to actually also win money, that was a unique experience. That was outstanding. Sure, uh, everybody wants the unique experience of winning a lot of money. They can do that with the super contest. That was a mm-hmm. professional segue, John. Uh, Very good. How how are the entries going down there? Yeah, we just crossed 1650 here about, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes ago or so. There's always a big pickup when you, you talk about the last few days. The locals usually wait until the end. I can see why. They want to see how many people are in the contest. They probably don't want to part with their money before the very end in case they want to go on an impromptu trip to Del Mar. So I, I can definitely see why a lot of the local people wait till the end, and that's exactly what they're doing again this year. So we're hoping to close the gap between 1650 and 2000. By Saturday, Saturday at 3 o'clock, 3, uh, 3 p.m. is the deadline to sign up for the Super Contest. Don't wait until 3 o'clock. Get, uh, sign up before then. Cause it's going to be a madhouse. I'll see you at 2.55 on Saturday. That's oh, my... People do it. People, people do it. It, it, was, it was even more intense when you, oh, the deadline was the same as the deadline to submit your week one picks. You know, then you get the guy that would come in, and he'd be scrambling to sign up and then submit his week one picks. He only had several months to do all this, of course. Uh, one of my favorite things about the Super Contest every year is how many people, and it's not a lot, but there's always a couple that sign up for the Super Contest and then don't turn in their week one plays. Do you know the number offhand from last year? Uh, I think last year was really low. Because, like, you know, last year was more of an uh, experienced crowd because of the pandemic. Oh, sure. It was more local to, uh, local people. I, I want to say maybe zero last year just wow. because – but. Over the years, there's been a lot of excuses. I've heard of a lot of excuses from people. There are no exceptions to that deadline. That deadline is firm. Never going to be any changes to it. One guy, he called, uh, he called us up about two hours after the deadline one year, and his excuse was, I went hiking and I just forgot. And I, I kind of respected that. He told us the truth, at least. Everybody else lies, you know. But, yeah, there were, no, there were never any exceptions if you missed that deadline. You've got to get your picks in. And I feel like sometimes sometimes we talk about the super contest just assuming everybody knows everything about it. Could you just give the the basic cliff notes version of what is the super contest. Five picks a week against the point spread. We actually just got the week one lines for uh, for week one up just in the last few minutes here. All eighteen weeks with nine in season contests within the the overall season. That's three six week contests, six three week contests. So when you sign up, $1,000, you actually get yourself into 10 contests for the price of one. And then there's an overall prize pool. Of course, that'll be dependent on how many people end up signing up. And if you do really well, you can win like a couple hundred bucks, huh? Uh, yeah, something like that. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I, could never, I would never be capable of winning a contest like this. But the winner, whoever that individual is, will be taking home quite a bit of money. 
Sure. Uh, so get down to the Westgate again, three o'clock Saturday, uh, the deadline to get signed up. John Murray's with us. All right, John, where are we seeing the money on Buccaneers and Dallas? I'm seeing a lot of books pushing up towards eight and a half now. Uh, well, Tampa Bay is such an, is such a heavily bet side, Steve. It's we've got three times as many tickets on the Bucks as we do on the second most bet team of the week. In week one, everybody's on the Buccaneers. Zach Martin's probably Dallas's best player. He was ruled out of this game with COVID. A lot of teasers, money line parlays for week one are starting with the Buccaneers. The books are going to need Dallas in a big way tomorrow night for sure. We're at Tampa Bay minus eight and a half right now. What's the uh, second most popular game in terms of volume? 49ers. Uh, 49ers are, are getting all the money. They're on the road against Detroit. Detroit's coach questionable i think i think there's a lot of people that have questions about dan campbell they're back in the 49ers more i should say second most tickets around the 49ers if you want to talk second most dollars bet it's actually a favorite of this show the buffalo bills and quarterback josh allen they're getting a ton of support at the superbook they're minus six and a half against the pittsburgh steelers so we're going to need the steelers pretty big the lions the cowboys for sure and i know we're going to need the bears on sunday night because the parlays and the teasers that survive all those games I just mentioned, they're going to roll into the, to the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday. And the Bears are playing Andy Dalton for some reason. So I think there's going to be even more money coming in on the Rams as we get closer to that game. I think it's because they don't want to get Justin Fields killed. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is, right? I mean, why else would they, like, like why else would they do that unless they just don't want to get his, uh, his confidence super low by getting chased around by Aaron Donald all night? Right. Fair enough. Uh, you mentioned a couple of games. A couple of the prime time spots this week, very interestingly enough, have favorites around a touchdown. You mentioned uh, the Buccaneers tomorrow, uh, the Rams in prime time on Sunday. Uh, would you expect that those numbers kind of shoot up a little bit just based on uh, trying to get rid of some of the late teaser action? The Rams could definitely be, be a, a game that shoots up a little bit, maybe to the eight and a half, nine range. As you grade all the games on Sunday, if we assume that Tampa Bay wins tomorrow night, Buffalo wins early on Sunday morning, the 49ers win on Sunday morning, the Kansas City Chiefs win on Sunday afternoon, you're going to have so many teasers and money line parlays going into that Rams game. Yeah, you could definitely see them go up to 8.5 or even 9. We see that almost every week in the NFL. When all the favorites are winning throughout the week, all the stuff runs into that Sunday night football game. And if there's a favorite in that touchdown area, like the Rams, you sometimes see that number jump up at the end. What are people doing with the the rookie quarterbacks? We mentioned Justin Fields not playing. Trey Lance kind of, you know, probably will be in a little bit into the lineup mm-hmm. with some special packages. Uh, but there are three rookie quarterbacks making their first start right away. Uh, are people shying away from them or playing on them? How are they trading them? Well, we saw we saw a very respected play come in on New England minus two and a half. Mac Jones getting the start for the Patriots against Miami. That game Sunday afternoon. We moved that number from. New England minus two and a half to to New England minus three. Other than that, not a whole lot to report on those two games. I mean, Jacksonville's getting the money, but that's mostly just because Houston looks to be so awful this season. It looks like Houston's just throwing the season away. And then there was was a respected player that did take the Jets plus five today, so I should mention that. Knocked that one down to four and a half. Big Sam Darnold revenge game there (laughs) against Zach Wilson, his replacement, and the New York Jets. It's going to be very angry, very angry. Hey, one thing we have not promoted, I don't think, in in, uh, our conversations, you guys do have a pretty low-cost NFL season wins contest, right? $200 uh, NFL season wins contest. You're picking the win total for every team in the league. We've done it before in the NBA, Major League Baseball, 
NHL. We were going to roll it out last year in the NFL. We chose not to because of the COVID concerns, games maybe being not played due to the pandemic. But this year we're doing it for the first time. Got over 100 entries in that so far. So very good response to that NFL season wins contest at the Westgate. Nice. Well, uh, Big Fella is going to be out there. One of his uh, rare appearances on Sunday morning. Adam Hill will be hosting with myself, Cofield, wow. along with uh, John Murray and, and Jay Cornegay. I think Jay Cornegay takes the lead on, on Sunday. But, yeah, we kick it off this Sunday, 8 a.m. We're out there basically from 7.30 until a uh, little after 10 o'clock at the Westgate. We're fired up. Glad you're having us back. I'm excited, man. I'll, I'll come say hi. I know Jay, Jay kind of bumps me week one, and I, I'm, I'm relegated to the stands. But I'll definitely come say hi to you and Adam. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, John. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks. You know Jay. Very very aggro. Very territorial. He's alpha. He's, 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 an, al- he's an alpha. Yeah, for sure. Beat oh, it, Murray. Are, are we going to find a way to get your we, – we skipped out last year on your play of the week. I know. Which uh, two years ago you were at like 68%, 72%, something like that. You were pretty high. Over you 70, got, yeah. You got out to a great start. What are we going to do this year? I mean, I could text it in when I'm not there. Might have to record something. Sure. Yeah, we could do that. Get Except Ari, I usually just call an Ari at like you know, seven fifteen. You can record it Sunday mornings. Yeah, a lot of my a lot of my plays he's prepped, come. He's prepping for the Crazy Horse Three Raider home games remotes. Sure, but a lot of my plays do come from fading people Sunday morning. Ooh. All right. So, well, <laughs> what time do you need Ari at the station? Uh, well, so it'd right, be during right. the, it'd be during the show. So right I up to it. Call in. So right up to it, basically. Sure. And I so, can, like, uh, he'll at 935, 8.35? We'll figure something out. Sure, right. we can do this off the air. But I'll, also, like, it's tough when I'm not there because I don't get to hear the conversation. Like, I just like to hear uh, some of the people talk about all these games that are sure locks. And they're like, all right. There you go. Something. There's my pick. <laughs> Other side. All right, Big Five is on the way. What is going on here with the running back position for the Raiders? Uh, they, they seem loaded. you got Josh Jacobs. you got big names. And you spent a lot of money on Kenyon Drake, and yet they keep bringing in guys to take a look at him, and they just signed Peyton Barber. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. 